Amen. If you remain standing and take out your Bible and turn it, please, to the book of First Peter, in the second chapter. It's on page 984 in that red pew Bible, or the black pew Bible, for those of you downtown. We are looking at, two weeks ago, we started looking at no hope. That Peter says not only is there hope, but he's a living hope, we saw in the first chapter. About the year 60 AD, Peter is writing, and he is writing to a world that has gone insane with this decadent imperial Rome. But he says, you and I are called to live a life different than that. If you're visiting, we read together as a sign of God's community, verses 11 through 17, those two paragraphs. And we get done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you believe it, you'll say, thanks be to God. So together, let's read these verses, verses 11 through 17. As you read, listen up, you're reading God's word. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh, the wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when He comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors, as sent by Him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people. Yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the bloom fades, but those words will simply last forever. What is normal? Someone says, is it normal for you to do that? Well, depends on what you think. Isn't it normal that when people talk about you, uh, that you want to get back at them? I, a couple decades ago, uh, from a southern pastor, was sharing someone in his church. He was a quiet guy, and they had one of those church gossips. She was in that church. She had the gift of talking about others behind their back. And she was telling everybody that he was an alcoholic because he had his pickup. It was a small town. Parked in front of the liquor store at 10 in the morning. She just talked about him. And one day he was standing there and she pointed out, there he is. And she could hear, he could hear her talking. And so he didn't say anything. He just smiled, nodded, walked away and got in his pickup. And he drove that night and parked it in front of her house and walked home and left her pickup there for the weekend. So uh, it's normal to want to get back at others. What is normal? Well, it depends on what your crowd is. For the world, it is normal for you to feed every desire you've got. Go ahead and make yourself happy. There's really no consequences for that. That's called the life of sin. Normalcy for God, though, is something called holiness. And every other life that is not holy, according to God, is a subpar experience compared to what he made us for. It's a much more mediocre, boring, bland way to live a life of sin rather than of holiness and righteousness. Most of us don't believe that because anytime we interact with somebody who supposedly is holy, all we're seeing is self-righteous plastic life because they're trying to do it on their own efforts. But holiness, as we saw two weeks ago, just means to be like Christ. And Jesus was the most fascinating personality who ever lived and walked this planet. And it's letting him do that within us. In the second chapter, we're going to see that Peter's going to say holiness is basically two things. It's rational 
and it's relational. It's rational. Any other life, by definition, according to the Bible, is psychotic. It's insane trying to live life without God. And it's relational. If our relationship with the vertical to God does not spill down into everyday relationships of the horizontal, then we can't be holy. It stops, if you will, the water. We turn it off at the source. You can live a month without food. You can live a week without water. You can hold your breath for six minutes before you start to do brain damage. But you can't go a moment without hope. And what Peter is telling them is that there is hope and he is a living hope. And you and I, as we go into the city to work with other people in other ministries, we're realizing that Peter discovered what Jesus is like. First time, big old Peter. Why do we call him big? We call him poor, and that's not true. He was probably middle class. He owned his own boats. But he was big because we know in John, the 21st chapter, he carried 154 fish ashore by himself. They're like two to three pounds. They call them St. Peter's fish now. They're like a perch. And the first time he met Jesus, Jesus used his boat for a speaking platform. Because water makes a natural acoustic, it bounces the sound up. And then he said to Peter, drop your nets. And Peter said, we've been fishing all night, preacher boy. And he says, now just a humor, remember it was such a large cast, a catch, that he said to Jesus, Jesus, get away from me. I am a sinful man. You're obviously holy. And Jesus, smiling, put his hand on his shoulder and said, Peter, at that time it's Simon. You follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's a professional fisherman and he knows in any fishing expedition there's, it's a two-act play. You gotta catch him and then you gotta clean him. Christ is catching us to him by the pull of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whether here or whether we're downtown or wherever we are at. And then he is cleaning us through this written word of God. And Peter's writing to Christians in present day Turkey and Asia Minor that the world like, looks like it's gone mad. There's a little pathetic man in Rome by the name of Nero who's sitting on a throne and he says he, not that he is neat but he is God and he is to be worshipped the Jews and the Christians in Asia Minor the Jews that were after them were trying to kill them for the crime of following the Messiah and all the heathen and pagans in the Roman world were doing these bizarre twisted sexual and other rituals in the temple trying to get to bribe the gods and the goddesses to bless them. The world looked like it had gone nuts. And Peter says, I know a better way to live. It's a life of loving wholeness. And when you ever get this stuff, it is dope. Well, he doesn't say that. He says it is really powerful and it will change your life. You got your Bible. Turn with me over. Let's take a look at this. We got to do the second chapter here before we come to this communion table. Page 984. If you are visiting... They said, I have you read out loud. It takes a different part of your brain to speak than it does to listen. And I want you to know this stuff. So we're going to read together verses uh, 1, well, all the way down through verse 8. And it's admonition of Peter. Let's read this together. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to Him, a living stone. Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. For whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, He is precious. For those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word <coughs> as they were destined to do. Wow. Three different words you just read there in the Greek for the word. Logos, he uses the most common word, rhema, and graphe. Right here, this last thing you read, as they disobey the word. The word is graphite, like graphite. Peter is already associating that the proclaimed word of God is what is written on the paper. Now, we don't worship a bunch of dots on any language on a piece of paper. No, the word of God, first of all, is the living word of God, Jesus of Nazareth. But when you hear the proclaimed word or you read it, that he quickens that and makes it alive. Now, look what he says over here in verse 1. Rid yourselves, therefore. Great word. Apotithemi. Apo always means to take off. Apotithemi means to take it off. One of the tough things about having children as a preacher, because you've got to be at church on time, is trying to get young kids dressed. And Carolyn did this. They were so great with them. They're running around, all three of them. And just as you'd get them dressed, they would go to the refrigerator and get anything out that was either ketchup or chocolate and just put it on themselves. Or they'd go out and they're playing in the mud. And when they come, you're ready to get to church, you're running a little late, and then they come walking in with these clothes on, they're totally soiled. You know, you say to them, Apotithemi! Lose them, go change! Notice what Peter's saying. He's not saying you were wrong. He's saying your behavior is. Guilt is when I do something wrong. Shame is when I am wrong. This is beautiful. This is great psychology. This is so smart. It's like God wrote it. But what he's saying to them is that get rid of that old nature, that old way of living. And in particular, what does holiness mean? Holiness means putting on the right clothes. Get rid of guile, malice, insincerity, envy, and slander. A sane way to live is holiness because holiness is practical love. Practical love is where you want somebody to be blessed. Love doesn't mean you like me. Love means you want my highest welfare. You want the very best for me. Now, it helps if you develop a taste in liking me. You don't have to like vegetables in order for them to be good for you. I have tried for years to try to teach myself to like that. I have found, if you've heard from me before, deep-fried salads taste better. I don't know if you know that or not, but but it's good if you develop a taste. You, know, you can develop a taste for something. Remember the first time you tasted coffee? Oh, my goodness, you spit it on the ground. You thought someone gave you kerosene, and now you know it's a gift of God. <laughs> Is that not true? You develop that taste. He says, long like newborn infants for the pure spiritual milk. He's talking, have you ever seen an infant when you give them something to eat and like their medicine, if you try to give them amoxicillin or something, at first they're smiling, and then they make this weird face like, what did you do? But you give them a bottle, man, they are on that thing like a scuba gear. Peter is saying... Long for the pure, truth teaching. Long for it. Develop a taste for it. You are so smart to be. You are sane to be in here worshiping. 
because the world out there is nuts. When Carolyn was working as an occupational therapy over here at the VA hospital with the institutionalized schizophrenics, I want to tell you, when you walk on those wards, you expect them to be nutty. And the nutty ones think they're normal. They think you're the nutty one. You go out into this world and you tell them about the good news of Christ, they think you've been smoking breakfast. What are you talking about? You've got to expect that. But the more you long for the pure spiritual work, and why do we want you in a small group? They can love you and help you get into the Word of God. Why are you supposed to be serving the body here, not just living for yourself? Why do I tell you to take your hard-earned money and give it to the Lord? Because it's the same thing to do. You Not only does He take care of you, you get to enjoy it more. Why do we serve people that don't even like us, the world? Because it's the same way to live. It's how God has made us. It's sane to eat food, not wear it. It is sane to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, you are like this living stone. Now, Peter, when he's writing this, the temple of King Herod was standing in Jerusalem. Peter is in Rome. He calls it Babylon. And he's writing to present-day Asia Minor, to Turkey, to these different churches there. Herod's temple was one of almost the seven wonders of the ancient world. You see over in Jerusalem today where they are praying by the western wall. It's the only thing left of Herod's temple. That is like praying in front of the first step here on the way to the chancel. It was the gutter. The real temple stood on top, gold on the inside. It was unbelievable. And Peter is saying, you're being built. God doesn't dwell in the temple in Jerusalem. God dwells in something that makes Herod's temple look like a canvas pup tent. He dwells in you and me. And you are being built into that. And all the weird little idiosyncrasies about you that nobody understands, but for some reason they're you. I don't mean your sinful side. I mean your weird side. God is preparing you to not only supplement the body of Christ now, but this is a short little life. He's getting us ready for eternity. And as he is preparing this, and so he says, you are being built into this. So get rid of this dry rot on the inside, these passions that take away life. And he says in verse 9 and 10, he borrows here now from the book of Isaiah, our qualifications. Let's read 9 and 10 together. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then he goes on and says, Beloved, you read this, I urge you. And that word urge, parakaleo, it doesn't mean I appeal. It's like, because I love you, change your lives. Now notice what he's saying up here, that you are a royal nation. When the priest, Aaronic priesthood alone, could be allowed to go to the Holy of Holies and the high priest once a year. And imagine if that priest happened to be the king also, or the queen. You're both. You're a chosen people to God. He's saying, what are you living the way you are? The early Christians didn't try to impose their will on imperial Rome. They just knew they belonged to a bigger, more important club than Rome. Citizenship of heaven. They didn't try to vote and make 
Rome and Rome, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Romans loved law. They were builders and they loved law. The Greeks were into the intellects. Well, Romans had some great intellects, but not like the Greeks. They were more into following what is right. And he said, you were called to live to a higher way of right living. You're being built itself. It is neurotic in the essence of the word. To refuse the medicine that's going to make you feel better because you don't like the taste of it. It is neurotic and psychotic in the deepest sense. To reject advice on how to invest your money wisely so you can have more later because you want to enjoy the money you have now. It is crazy to reject the chance to find love because somebody so hurt you in the past, you hold them back and you hold them back because you really long to have love. It's crazy. It's thinking, thinking. It's psycho 101. And what Peter is saying here is holiness is the way to live. And holiness isn't, as we said, this pretend plastic self-righteousness. So he says, I urge you then to live that way. Look at verse 12. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Even though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when He comes to judge you. Notice over in verse 4, the three verbs he keeps using. Come to Him a living stone, though rejected, yet chosen and precious. Chosen, precious, and rejected. Jesus Christ was chosen to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the Messiah. He is so precious. And they rejected him. You are called and chosen by God. You are precious to him. And yet the world is going to reject you, he says. That is not your fight. That is between them and the Lord. Presbyterians are notorious for the doctrine of predestination. Because Calvin said there are some that are chosen to eternal life and some to eternal damnation. And only God knows that. And Knox was trying to get his head around, how does God know? And the longer I live, why does this side of the room, is it going to heaven and this side is not? Aren't you glad you sat over here? (laughs) The longer I live, it's such a mystery to me. Why did we respond to Christ? We're not holier. We're not smarter. And this word destined, tithemi means God ordained. You can never hold God culpable for our sins. And yet nothing catches him off guard. God at times will take a moment and have it more painful for His greater glory. If you don't believe me, you look at this cross. God will at times do something that is much more painful at the moment so that later He is glorified even more. God has given you and me complete freedom. He will never take that away. And yet He is totally sovereign. And there are those who have rejected People are not going to be banished from God for eternity because of what they believe. It's because of what they refuse to believe. No one goes to hell out of ignorance. And I want to tell you there is a real hell and real people are going there. And Jesus said, if you can do anything, lose an eye, lose a hand, lose your life, do not go there. Respond to the call. This is no game. This is a real war with real bullets. And that's what Peter is writing to them and saying... Even as Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. But you're being held accountable. Job said, I can't understand it. And even if he slay me and I haven't done anything wrong, yet I'm going to trust him. 
And I don't know why it is that we respond, but you and I are called to not only tell the good news, and only God has the right to assign anybody to heaven or hell, none of us, but you and I are called to be arms of His love and grace and judgment. Because when they hear and they say, I want nothing to do with it, God will never give up, but God will be just when He says, so be it. And that's why you and I are gathered here this morning. And he says that you long for this. Be good to your Gentile friends. You should be the best citizen this city has ever seen. You should work harder. There's no such thing as a lazy Christian, according to Paul in the New Testament. We should be more creative. Even the, your peep friends of other faiths and the total party on, they should know that when you're a Christian, they could lay down their wallet and put money in front of you walk out of the room, and you would get it back to them. That you're a woman of your word, that you're a man of your word, that your intentions for them are good. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. And he's telling to them, the Romans, oh Christian, should look at you and say, you're a citizen. He says, honor the emperor? This is nutcase Nero. Two years, two summers later, Nero's going to have Peter crucified. And yet he says, honor the emperor? Yes. Because he says, that's between Nero and God. But I'm going to honor. Now, he never bends the knee. All he had to do was say, Nero, you are Lord. And he could have walked. But he said, I can't do that. Jesus is Lord. Christos, curios. Jesus is Lord. Christ is Lord, not you. And you and I, when this city or this nation asks us to bend the knee to anything against God, you and I say no. But unless they do that, you and I are good citizens. We work for this president, we work for this senate, we work for this mayor, we work for our neighbors. That's what Peter said. And not only that, then he says, but also you are to be people who care for those within the family of faith. You love them. And he goes on. Let's finish up reading this chapter, verses 18 through uh, 25 here. Not only are we to be friends to our unsaved friends and good citizens, but we're also to be those that are Good employees and employers. Let's read this out loud. Slaves, accept the authority of your master with all deference. Not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For this to you has been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins... We might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Submit. The Greek word hypotasso, like hypodermic means under the skin. Hypotasso comes under an order. This order you honor whatever political organization God has over you. As long as it doesn't get in the way of worship. You honor those who are your friends that are total lost. You work for them. You love them. You care for them. 
and you honor your boss. Now, he, now slaves at this time, about the, in the middle of the first century in Rome, most of them were being paid by now. Rome got most of its slaves in the first and second century B.C. when they took them from North Africa. They're still bringing down some blonde-haired slaves right now from the Germanic tribes as they're fighting in Gaul and bringing them down. But they were paid, and if they, sometimes they were set free if they earned enough money. Do you realize that most of the doctors and professors in Rome were slaves? Because they were the aristocrats from other culture that Rome went and conquered and brought them back. So he's saying slaves, and Peter and Paul are hardly in favor of slavery, but he's saying, you with eye service to your master, are you a good employee? Are you trying to get every nickel you can from your boss when he's not looking or whoever she is? Are you trying to steal from them with time by just being lazy? Or are you trying to bring them down so you can put yourself up? Peter says, don't you dare do that if you're a follower of Jesus. You work hard, even to the jerks. Because when you've done something right and somebody else gets the credit, God sees. And he's got an incredible memory. If you suffer for being a liar and a thief, well, that, that's your fault. But when you suffer for doing right, and I said, are you a good employers? Those of you who have your own businesses, do you look at employees just as road pack to kind of strip mine and use them when you're done with them? Throw them on the side of the road like a tin can? He said, no, if you follow Jesus, you don't do that. You care for them. Yes, they have to do their jobs, but you help move them up to the next level in that sense. And so you see how this beauty of this mercy and grace falls down into all these relationships. Take Jesus, he said. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he was cursed, he didn't hold resentment in his heart. When those Roman guards were beating Christ before they were about ready to execute him, every time they hit him, Jesus didn't say, like I would have, you're going to really regret that. (laughs) He's different than me. He said, through those beaten eyes, there's nothing you can do that will ever make me stop loving you, ever. He didn't revile back. He bore. Instead, you know what he did? He entrusted. That word paradidomi. Para means to hand over. To God, the Father. Jesus in his own flesh, even though he had no sin, he was smart enough to say, Father, I cannot handle You take care of this. And when others do you wrong and curse you, and they say mean things about you, and you get stabbed in the back, yes, you stand for justice. But you don't ever take vengeance on yourself. You say, Lord, this one's yours. I can't handle this one, God. I am so upset and I am so spiteful, God. I don't want it to corrupt my heart and my life. Lord, would you forgive them through me? And the healing, fresh, living water of the Holy Spirit himself will bring cleansing and healing. And they don't win a second time. When you and I hold grudge, like Jesse so beautifully said, when you hate somebody last week, you become like them. And when you and I give it over, when you hold a grudge, they win every time the thought comes up. It's smart. It's sane to have a holy life of saying, I forgive you, man. Not that it was nothing. Oh, it was a sin, and you need to deal with God. But that's not my place. What is a rational life as we get ready to come to this table? This is a negotiating table. Careful, because you and I can never change the terms. And the terms are simple. God says, you give me all of your life. Not 80%, not 90%. You give me the whole thing. And I will give you all of my life. 
And when you do that, be careful. Sometimes your addresses can change. Sometimes your friends can change. And sometimes you and I can. There's a woman in the city by the name of Marcia. I think she's still alive. I haven't heard for some about five years. At the age of 25, she was a brilliant linguist. And she went down to South America to work with a tribe there of 160 people in total. 160 people on this planet spoke this one language. She worked in the jungles for 44 years. Only met 81 of them personally that spoke this language so that she could translate the scriptures into their language. She lived her entire life for 160 people in the jungles of Brazil. How insane? Or how brilliant. That God called her. He didn't call all of us to that. But God will call you when you come up here and you say, Lord, I want to live for you. Wow, that's a smart thing to do. How's your desire management going? You can't stop bad desires. You can't repent of being a human. But you can decide what you're going to do with them. To be tempted isn't a sin, but to be in environments where the bad things grow. A friend of mine who was an elder in one of my churches just left his wife a month ago who he'd been married to for 30 years. And it's fascinating to me. He quit attending church about five years ago. What's the cause and the effect? What's the chicken and the egg? I don't know. But I do know this, that you're so smart to be doing what you're doing and to have a small group and to serve others and give to the Lord because there's a sanity that comes in your life that the world can never satisfy. What do your non-Christian friends think of you? Do you not have any non-Christian friends? I got some I'll share with you. (laughs) What do they think? Do they think you're a class act? They might think you're nuts about this whole Jesus thing. That's all right. But do they know that you're a stand-up citizen that you could you would be the person they would go to in a clutch because you're confidential and you would take what it wants does this city know about us if you're working what does your boss think of you oh, he may not like you but does he know that you are somebody worthy of their check and if you're an employer what do your employees think of you do they think you're fair and just you know what god thinks of you God loves you so much, so much. As they say, if God's got a refrigerator, he's got your picture on it. He loves you. That's what this table is. This table is the table where we come. It's not a Presbyterian table, but it's a table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he invites us to renew our time with him. Shall we pray? God, I thank you that you have loved us in a way that we could never, ever have predicted. And that, God, you keep on loving us and you'll never let us go. Lord, I don't know why you would be so good to someone like me and to all of us in this room and to all those around this planet who love you. But we thank you that you have been. So, Lord, we ask now that you would come. We have heard your proclaimed word and read your written word. And now, Lord, we come to the enacted word of where the living word Jesus himself comes and make himself known. Come, Lord Jesus, for your sake we pray. Amen.